I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. A pleasure to have you with us here on the GM Shuffle. Not only recapping both championship games in the AFC and the NFC, but also the Lions are going to be parting ways with Matthew Stafford and, as always, the weekly awards. Mike and I have talked to this before, how great it would be to have T-shirts. And hopefully at some point we'll get some merchandise for the GM Shuffle because you all are nothing if not loyal. You always support us. And what I love more than anything is while these football games are going on, the amount of tweets that we get with references to jokes that Mike and I make on the podcast. To that end, if somebody wants to make up some shirts to GM Shuffle LaFuck, now would be the time. Because if there ever was a time that Matt LaFleur was being questioned and berated, it was after what happened in the NFC Championship game. We'll get into the specifics of it. But first, Mike, I want you to set the stage because you told us about your buddy who's a Packers fan. And just give me what the whole scenario was like yesterday. Well, you know, I got Vince, my cousin, is my first cousin. His father and my father's are brothers. Uh, his father has passed away. My father's, uh, we call him Barbershop Mike. He's down in a, he's in a nursing home. Uh, down there watching the games. Haven't been able to see him because of COVID. So anyway, we're first cousins. We grew up together here on the island in Ocean City. Uh, he's a he runs a construction company and always has been a Packer fan. Now we both were Packer fans growing up because of Vince Lombardi. No relation. And when Vince Lombardi left to go to the Washington football team, which was then called the Redskins, I became a Redskin fan as a young kid. My cousin Vince stayed a Packer fan. He's like, look, I'm a Packer fan. I'm always going to be a Packer fan. So he stayed a Packer fan. And he has been a diehard Packer fan for his entire life. So that's the backdrop. And then his son, who's a doctor in Pittsburgh, is also Nick. He's also a Pittsburgh. He's also a diehard Packer fan. So so yesterday we decided to have have a text chain going on because Big Daddy, which is what we call him, he always is texting me about, you know, ridiculous things that he sees in the game that he thinks is just completely fucked up. You know, why are they in nickel defense? Why are they playing prevent? I mean, it, the list goes on and on. And my other son, Mick, I'm like, you got to enjoy some of this. This is too good. I just can't handle it all. You know, like this is just too good. You got to take some of the flavor of this in. So we set up a text chain, you know, with the four of us during the game. And it was truly the highlight of the day. It was the highlight of my day. I wish I could scroll down some of Big Daddy's texts. I mean, he had fired Petten within the first six minutes of the game. I mean, had they listened to him, <laughs> he would have probably been helpful. He, you know, he he wanted to fire LaFuck immediately. I mean, he hated LaFuck. He's so pissed off. You know, and then of course, special teams, he's been bitching about the special teams, which, you know, nobody mentions it, but the average starting field position for the Bucks in the game was the 37 yard line, which really, what does that mean? That, that tells you how little the Packers emphasize the kicking game. Like the Packers are truly, truly AD. They are truly the, the symbolism of the modern NFL. The modern NFL, Mark Murphy wants the power. He's the president. He wants the power. 
He's the mighty king. He's the grand wizard behind the wall. He's He basically did what JFK did when he signed the memorandum to basically split the CIA in half, right? Okay. And so... He what he did when he became Packer president, he signed memorandum to split the power to him. So instead, remember we talked about Ted Thompson last week. Ted Thompson passed away. Instead of the general manager holding all the authority of football operations, okay, instead of him holding that, he split that. He took control of that. He gave himself that as the president and then made the head coach and the GM report to him, okay? That's the background. So now Murphy's all the king. He's almighty everybody, right? So now Murphy wants to subcontract. He hires a young offensive coach. He hires, he keeps the defensive staff that's already in place. And then the special team. So you have three individual units within the framework of the team. That is what the modern NFL is all about today. The Eagles are practicing the same hop. They hire a very inexperienced young coach. You know, he hires a a defensive coordinator who happens to be really inexperienced, uh, uh, Jonathan Gannon. And then they'll keep the same special teams coach and they'll keep part of the staff. And so basically... This whole concept is the organization will carry the head coach, not the head coach carries the organization. And the byproduct of that is what we saw on the field yesterday. Uh, to your point, if it's an organizational decision, well, the organization should speak up for this. We'll, we'll go to all the different elements of it, but Mike, but everything, everything, everything everyone is talking about today is one awfully strange decision. Matt LaFleur, with just over two minutes left, they're down by five points. No, no, excuse me. They're down by eight points. On fourth and goal, he decides to kick a field goal. Now, it is true, Aaron Rodgers on third and goal probably could have ran for that touchdown. When I watched the replay, I said, well, I could have just run, but he tried to throw it incomplete. Okay. But they could have gone for the touchdown on fourth down. They score that. That's six points. You get the two-point convert. It's a tie game at 31. Instead, LaFleur decides to kick the field goal. And the whole world is watching going, wait, what? So now it's a five-point game. You're going to trust your defense and now stop Tom Brady with under two minutes left and get the ball back. And you still have to score a touchdown. This was a maddening decision. This was not second-guessing. This was first-guessing. I know your Twitter was blowing up. I'm a, I know my tweets are blowing up. I'm sure your text exchange... Uh, with Vince and the whole crew was going nuts. Big Daddy's losing his mind. Let's hear from LaFleur because I want to know what he said. Why did he elect to kick this field goal? Yeah, anytime it doesn't work out, you always regret it, right? But uh, it was just uh, the circumstances of having three shots and coming away with no yards and knowing that you not only need the touchdown, but you'd need the two point. So the way I was looking at it was we essentially had four timeouts with the two minute warning. And, you know, we, we knew we needed to get a stop and I thought we were going to have a stop there at the end, but you know, they, we got called for, for the P P I and it didn't work out. So I think anytime something doesn't work out, do you regret it? Sure. But we're always going to be process driven here. And the way our defense was battling, the way our defense was playing, we felt like it was the right decision to do. And, uh, it just didn't work out. When he was talking, AD, I felt like meatloaf. I wanted to just say, stop right there. Like, stop right there. No, like, let's stop. <laughs> okay, let's just stop fucking right there. All right? You said, you know, with three times, okay, you didn't try to gain any yards. You were throwing the ball in the end zone three times. All right, so stop with that bullshit. Like, you had no play called to get four yards or five yards to get you inching closer. You were throwing the ball in the end zone. All right, that's one. Two, Right, you did not have the extra two minute warning because you didn't fucking kick the ball out of the end zone. 
All right. You had to kick that ball out of the end zone. And Tampa did the really smart thing. They fielded the ball and they got on the ground at 202. Why? Because at 202, Brady could throw the fucking ball. So your master plan that you just announced after the fucking press conference, you you you, you didn't understand it. Because if you're going to play it that way, there's a chink in the armor. You've got to kick the ball through the end zone. Now at 208, they have to run the ball. Now you gained that extra timeout. But when you didn't kick the ball through the end of the end zone, you didn't fucking get the extra timeout. Like you screwed yourself up. So you can act all like, oh, it didn't work out. I'm, you know, this is but plant. Like nobody's second guessing. Like if you would have followed the script because you really knew the script, then it would have been okay. But you didn't follow the script. You kicked the ball. They got on the ground. I said to Millie on the couch, they're going to throw it here. Brady gets nine yards, right? We go to commercial, right? And then we say, you know, they got they got to jump. The, now Green Bay's got to jump off sides, right? Finally, you know, when they come in, you know, everybody's surprised they jumped off sides. You know, everybody in the booth surprised they jumped off sides because they had to. Like, like that's what I, I wanted somebody to tell me that. But you know what's remarkable about this thing, AD? What's really remarkable is the fucking bonehead call by Mike Pettin at the end of the half can actually get superseded by a bigger bonehead call by LaFleur. Like, think about that. Instead of you asking me and discussing the Greg Williams-like ridiculous play call at the end of the first half, you were discussing an even more egregious decision by LaFleur at the end of the second half. Think about that. Like, if you want to double down on stupidity, I got you. I got you. I'm going to double down. Like, do I think he's wrong? You know, he's he just clearly told you he didn't think it all the way through. Because if he thought it all the way through to kick the ball, he would not have kicked the ball to the one-yard line. He'd have kicked that fucking thing through the end zone. Yeah, this was not uh, Matt LaFleur's fine state or Mike Pettin. We'll do more on Mike Pettin in a second because, God, there was a lot of defensive uh, issues and gaffes. But the, the second thing I was wondering was not only what LaFleur was thinking, what was Bruce Arians thinking when he saw them kick the field goal? Here's Bruce. No, I thought it was, uh, they had a lot of confidence in their defense at that point in time. And, you know, it was, a, I thought it was an, a good, good, good move by them. <laughs> he can't even lie with a straight face, AD. <laughs> Seriously, they had confidence in their defense. Okay, let's go over that confidence in their defense. All right, Brady makes a ridiculously bad throw at the end it, it, when they get the ball after their, it, when they get it back, the momentum's kind of turning. Brady makes a ridiculous bad throw that gets intercepted, right? All right, okay. Then they move the ball down the field. Then they move the ball down the field again. They go six plays. They got a 22 yards, right? They move it down the field again, and Brady throws another interception, basically backed up again. I mean, he throws another one. He got a guy, you know, he's at the, the drive starts at Tampa's 45. He goes six plays. He gets 22 yards, and he throws the interception, and basically the Green Bay gets it back from that. Then Brady throws another interception that really was on Brady. Like all these interceptions are bad throws by Brady. It was not that they played great defense. Tom would be the first one to tell you that. Like I missed Evans over the middle. I shouldn't have thrown that ball, you know, on, on out there for the jump ball. Like they never stopped him. That's the part that I think we miss. Like, what do I always say on this podcast? You've got to, as a head coach, you've got to determine who's in control and who's in the lead. Like, Green Bay was never in control of Tampa's offense. They never were in this whole entire game. Brady made some mistakes. He throws three picks in the second half. Not because it was great defense. It was because it was shitty offense. It was shitty offense. He overthrows Evans. You know, that's a pick, right? 
They go three plays, you know, then they go 13 plays and get all the way down there. And then they got the ball. That's when he overthrows Evans on those three plays. Like, you know, and then he makes another interception on the sideline. Like, seriously, he Brady should have thrown four interceptions in the game. Will Redmond drops one that would have resulted in not having the seven points. Think about this. I love Tom Brady more than anybody, but Tom would be the first to tell you this wasn't his finest hour. He throws four interceptions, three are caught in the game. Fucking telling me they're playing good defense. Like, seriously. Like, what do people think? We're just not watching the same game? Like, they got lucky. They got fortunate. I mean, what team turns the ball over in in the second half three times and still comes out the victor? Yeah, and that's going to be the lazy narrative, Mike, for people who did not watch them go, oh, my God, Tom Brady did it again. I'm like, listen, I'm with you. I'm not going to take away the fact Brady did make plays. I'm not going to take away from the fact on the road at Lambeau Field they won. But as you said, Brady went 20-26 for 280 yards. Okay, excellent completion percentage, three touchdowns, but also three interceptions. Like, he he did exactly what he didn't do the previous week against the Saints, which is turn the ball over. And if you're Aaron Rodgers, Rodgers goes for 346 yards, three touchdowns, one pick, and he falls to one and four in conference championship games as a starting quarterback. That's why Aaron Rodgers is so pissed today because everyone's saying, ah, Tom Brady got the better of you, buddy. Brady outdueled Rodgers. And anyone who thinks that, is false. That's not true. Not true at all. I mean, look, you know, Rodgers had no help. I mean, as bad as Petten was on defense, I mean, Petten's defensive game plan at some point, you know, you you're, you're, you allowed nine of 14 third down conversions. They were converting third downs. That tech change, Mick and I kept telling Big Daddy and Nick, like, it's got to cool down at some point. You know, third and 10 first down, third and eight first down, third and 16 first down. I mean, like, seriously, at some point, Petten had no answer for it. Like he has a quarterback who can't scramble. Meanwhile, he's not rushing him inside. Like he's not getting in front of Brady. It's like he's never played Brady before. Like if you're going to bother Brady, you're going to bother Brady when you get in front of him, not when you run past him. Like you got to run, you got to rush inside out on Brady. You can't rush outside. He just steps up and throws the ball. He moves right, moves left. So horrible third down plan by the defense, right? I get nothing out of that. And then offensively, LaFleur just thinks Billy Turner is, you know, LaFleur, the best way to describe LaFleur's game plans is it was plays, not players, right? He's got Billy Turner who can't block Jason Pierre-Paul trying to block Jason Pierre-Paul. Like, and you're wondering why why Rodgers gets sacked five times. He's got his right tackle, Ricky Turner, who can't block over there. He's got inside people that are struggling to block. Like, Rodgers got sacked five times. I mean, they had a hard time blocking him. And and here's the thing. I mean, the Bucks put this game on a silver platter for him, right? As bad as they played, they get the ball back twice. They get the ball back twice, down eight. Twice down eight and go three and out. Go three and out twice. Because he fucking doesn't have a plan for it. Like when you got that ball back, when after that first interception, when you start the fourth quarter, this is when experience matters, Mr. Murphy. This is when you need a head coach, Mr. Murphy. This is when it really becomes important, Mr. Murphy. You can't coach the team, Mr. Murphy. You need to have somebody who's in control, who's the head coach, who says, okay, fellas, we need 15 to 18 of our best plays. Here's what we got to do. Here's what we practice in this situation. Here's how we got to handle it. But no, we just run plays because that's what's on our play sheet. That's what's on our play sheet. You know, we're going to run a cover two beater because they play cover two. Well, it's great. I mean, seriously, Rodgers could have thrown a touchdown pass to Devontae Adams, except the problem was he had Jason Pierre-Paul in his fucking lap. He couldn't throw it. There's a ton of plays when you watch that tape. Guys are going to be wide ass open. But if you don't have any time to throw the ball, what the fuck good is it? You know, Somebody needed to say to LaFuck, 
hey, Matt, let's get in a left-handed formation. You know, let's get some guys in there. Let's chip on the backs. Let's not worry about getting five in a route. Let's let's get rid of this fucking five, five out open formation. You know, let's make sure we give Rodgers a, a good place. We'll pick guys. They're going to play man. We'll pick it, and we'll make sure we can get the ball off. Like, sir, like, what's wrong with that? Yeah. It, like I said, it's horrible play calling. And if you're a Buccaneers fan, you're going, I can't believe we've won eight straight road victories. That's a franchise record. Then the Super Bowl, first time since the 2002 championship season. I do want to give a shout out to Todd Bowles. You've talked to him before, Mike, the defensive coordinator for the Bucs. They were number one against the rush all regular season. And they certainly stepped up. You mentioned Jason Pierre. Paul, he's a pro bowler. Him and Shaquille Barrett, those guys combined for five sacks. I mean, the Buccaneers, I don't believe, won this game. I believe the Packers lost this game. But this Bucs defense, they came to play. And I think that I at least thought, well, listen, uh, there's going to be a, a challenge, certainly because the Packers defense isn't great, but good luck against Aaron Rodgers. And again, Rodgers played well, but this Bucks defense, I do think is worthy of a shout out before we get into Rodgers. Oh, there's no doubt. It's, I mean, I think Todd did a tremendous job. Todd did a great job of adjusting from the first game to the second game. He gave them different looks, and he knew he had good matchups. He knew going in the game, and he probably told Jason Pierre-Paul, he said, look, Jason, we got to win this. You got to win this game. We got to make it so we can't throw the ball left. We're going to beat Billy Turner every chance we get. And then Shaq, Shaq Barrett really stepped up against Ricky Wagner. I mean, they said to themselves, we're going to win this game with our pass rush. We're going to put v v uh, Vita Vida over the center. We're going to push it his ass back. We're going to make Rodgers uncomfortable so he can't beat us with his legs. And we're going to make sure that we control him with our with our ability of our front. And he did. I mean, Todd did a tremendous job. Todd deserves the game. Of all the people, Brady will get all the credit for the win and the offense. Todd Bowles was the reason they won that game. Todd Bowles outcoached LaFuck. He outcoached everybody on the, on, the, on the Packers staff. A thousand percent. And now the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to play a Super Bowl at home. Think how strange that is. Uh, we'll do more Super Bowl stuff in a second because, of course, you want to get your, uh, your bets in there on DraftKings. But let's do a minute or two here on Aaron Rodgers. Um, he said afterwards, a lot of guys' futures are uncertain, myself included. And immediately my eyebrows went up. I'm like, wait, he's got three years remaining on a four-year, $134 million contract. The Packers are stuck with a dead money charge of $31.6 if he is not on the roster next season. But listen to Rodgers in his own words. A lot of guys' futures that are... You know, uncertain, you know, myself included. Uh, that's what's sad about it most. Getting this far, obviously, there's going to be an end to it at some point, whether we make it past this one or not. But just the uncertainty is, is tough and the finality of it all. Certainly a guy who's deflated for good reason, 37 years of age. What do you make of those comments, Mike? Well, I think, look, he knows they drafted Jordan Love for a reason. And basically, he's calling their bluff on Jordan Love. And I think what he's going to end up doing is he's going to walk into Mr. Murphy's office and say, Mr. Murphy, <laughs> Mr. Murphy, I want some cash. You know, I'm not, I shouldn't be below Patrick Mahomes and I shouldn't be below significantly below Patrick Mahomes and I shouldn't be significantly below Deshaun Watson and I shouldn't be significantly below Dak Prescott who you know can't really play the way I play so and you drafted Jordan Love so either pay me or trade me because you got your boy Jordan Love that's who you wanted to draft and so it's probably best for you to get started on because I'm not going to tolerate this you won't see me again 
You will not see me again, Mr. Murphy. It's your call. You're running the team. It's your team. You do it. Yeah, and I could definitely understand his frustration because you and I were both all over that Jordan Love pick. Like, are you kidding me? This guy's 37 years old. He's a great quarterback. And yet, rather than drafting a receiver or a tight end, a running back, a tackle, anything, you're looking towards the future. And listen, if you like Jordan Love, fine, I get that. But this is your window. That window's closing. If you're Rodgers, I mean, Colin Coward made this point. He said Aaron Rodgers had the most to lose by losing this game. He goes, if Brady lost, they go, well, he's 43 years old. If Mahomes loses, he goes, well, maybe it was the concussion. He's got a bad foot. Um, if Josh Allen loses, well, young quarterback, he's got time. But Rodgers losing, you look at his record in the championship games, and you go, well, he's only one in four. And all of a sudden, there becomes this narrative that he's more like a Peyton Manning. I mean, yes, he's going to the Hall of Fame. Yes, he's an incredible incredible quarterback, but in the playoffs, he has yet to elevate his team. So I'm sure Rodgers is as frustrated as anybody this morning. No doubt. But I mean, like, this is a lazy narrative. Like, he, what, what more could he have done to elevate his team? I mean, he makes some throws in the game that on the on the, on the the text chat, like, he threw a seven-yard pass to Tanya on scrambling to his left, and he had Pierre Paul in his face. I mean, he threw it on a rope. It might be one of the best. There's, like, maybe two people on the planet who could make that throw. Like, there's some throws he makes in this game that maybe two people can make. Like, I think the organization has let him down, A.D. I think that's what's really happened more than anything. I think the the organization has tremendously let them down, and he they failed to deliver. Look, I defended the organization. I defended them on the Jordan Love pick because if you looked at the last five years of Aaron Rodgers, he was not playing at the highest level that he could. He wasn't. He didn't buy in. This year, he went all in. He went all in. So now, to me, Mr. Murphy, you should probably <laughs> tell Aaron, I'll give you more money, and I'm going to trade Jordan Love because you know I can recoup some of the picks. I mean, there's so many quarterback-hungry teams right now. You could probably get your pick back, much like how the Packers got Brett Favre. You know, the Packers got Brett Favre because the the Falcons wanted to you know recoup their pick, much to what Jerry Glanville wanted to do. So, look, maybe they trade Jordan Love, but they're going to have to clean this up. I mean, they're going to have to clean it up. They're going to have to clean up the defense. I mean, I know they gave Pettin an extension, but seriously, do you want to go through another year with Mike Pettin playing Battleship football? Battleship K5, hit. G3, miss. Okay, let's try H4, miss. <laughs> you know, that's what I, that's the way he calls defense. It's Battleship fucking football. He never takes away. He never makes them play left-handed, you know? He's got he's got my, on the first third down he's got one of he's got a, one of his worst corners covering their best receivers in a man to man like fellas it's players not plays like it's like when you try to cover Tyree Kill with your corner because you you think your corner can cover the X receiver or the Z receiver no that fucking Z receiver is named Tyreek Hill. Okay, he's the fastest human on the planet. Like, there's no, there's no blackboard that covers him. None, none. He's the best receiver in all of football, it, and that's not. I don't think that's debatable. He's the best fucking receiver. Julio Jones gets all this talk. There's one guy you fucking hold your balls when he's on the field. It's Tyreek Hill, and so you can't treat him. It's the same way. Pet. No, oh, there's Mike Evans. He's just an X. No, he's fucking Mike Evans. He's really good. You don't have anybody can cover him, maybe other than Jair Alexander. So what's your plan for him? This is what drives me crazy about. This is why subcontracting in the NFL. Who's making these decisions to set up the game plan? And they only really resonate. They only really resonate when it's the biggest game of the year, when they really magnify themselves. And the media, you know, the media doesn't really understand the inside working of the game, so they can't call them out on it. They can't. 
Like, I don't hate LaFour. What I think LaFour needs more than anything is an advisor. I think LaFour needs somebody to teach him how to be a head coach. I think LaFour needs somebody. You know, this is why we started the Daily Coach, Coach Raveling and I and Alex and Kamadi, the four of us. We all sat around a room in Los Angeles one day and said, look, if Steve Jobs needs a coach, everybody needs a coach. So we felt like, okay, let's write this Daily Coach every day to help people to have a voice in their life, a coach. Like, this drives me crazy. These NFL teams, they pay $600,000 to to fucking Jed Hughes, who I wouldn't pay $6 to, right? They pay $600,000 to his firm, right? And, and then they're going to hire, let's just say they hire Leslie Frazier, and then they're not going to give him anybody to help him be a head coach. Like, why wouldn't you invest in somebody to help LaFleur be a better head coach? You're just going to let him stand there? Well, he doesn't want help. Well, no, fuck, he needs help. I don't give a shit he doesn't want help. He needs fucking help. When the spotlight shines brightest, that's when you get exposed. And the Packers were clearly exposed. LaFleur, Pett, and the rest of them. They lost this game. They didn't. It wasn't the Bucs won. I'm telling you, the Packers lost this game, and everyone knows it if you were watching that game. Just a hugely disappointing performance for Green Bay, knowing they were on the verge of another Super Bowl appearance. When we come back, though, the Kansas City Chiefs are going back to the Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes steps up. We'll break down their big win in the AFC Championship next. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Well, unfortunately, we did not get the drama of the NFC Championship game and the AFC Championship game. The Bills did their best to keep things close, but once the second half came, Patrick Mahomes and company just took off. Ruthless efficiency. Mahomes had been out with a concussion the previous game, this time showing no ill effects. 325 yards passing and three touchdowns. And the focus here, Mike, is what he does with Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. To have a tight end like Kelsey, who can put up numbers with 13 catches, 118 yards, and two touchdowns, and then Hill, who's an absolute burner, nine catches for 172. That's the first duo in NFL history, consecutive games of at least 100 yards receiving in a single postseason. You have worked in football a long time. Have you ever seen that kind of duo, especially with a tight end, Kelsey and Hill, able to make magic with Patrick Mahomes? Well, you know, I think Kelsey's just, you know, the first of all, Kelsey's the big receiver that, you know, he's changed the game. I think when you look at football teams, especially receiving cores, you have to look at them like basketball teams because that's truly what it is. It's basketball and grass. And 
And what the Chiefs have is they have a power forward who can dominate the game in Kelsey. He's not really a tight end because they don't ever ask the tight end to be a point of attack blocker. So he's a big receiver who plays the game with receiving skills. He could separate with quickness. He's got speed and he's got elite. Now, I'm not talking about good hands. He has elite hands. Okay. So that's one. Two, they have the most explosive point guard in the history of any point guard. I mean, this Tyreek Hill kid, and I, I get so angry about it because when you watched his tape at Oklahoma State and you saw the dominance that he had as a running back at Oklahoma State, I mean, this is a running back and his hands were and everything. And the fact that 99.98% of the NFL teams were not allowed to draft him for his behavior off the field, which is reason to, to, to not draft a player. But to then they take that chance and then get this ultimate reward. You know, I mean, they were able to do it. Not a lot of teams could. More power to them. Maybe there's karma with all in it. But this is a uniquely, uniquely talented player. I mean, this is beyond uh, anything you could ever imagine. Like, I don't want to hear, you know, this receiver, Michael Thomas is better or, you know, or Julio Jones is better or, you know, DK Metcalf's better. There's only one of these guys and you put him on the field and he can do things and catch balls and run with it. That is regard ridiculously hard to do and add the quarterback who is unbelievable with his eye level, unbelievable with his movement, unbelievable with his accuracy, and you have the offense that is hard, hard to defend. Mahomes looked phenomenal. It was not worse for wear, and that's why the offense is ready to go. As we'd said before, the Bills, they're going to have to match these guys. They're going to have to score and able to hang in there, and their offense never got on track in this playoffs. You know, whether it was against the Colts or the Ravens, against the Chiefs, Josh Allen, the Bills never really got rolling the way they were in the regular season. Allen had his worst game of the year, a week six loss to the Chiefs. This time, he goes for 287, two touchdowns and a pick, but a lot of those numbers came after the Bills were down 38-15. to 15. If there's one thing I know about Steve Spagnuolo's defense, Mike, he's going to bring the heat, tons of blitzes, and they made life miserable for Josh Allen. Yeah, they did. I mean, it was bad. I mean, look, I thought he had to play great. I was wrong on this. I was wrong, you know, on both games. I think he had to play really well. He didn't play his best game. I thought for sure he would be the runner. He carried eight times for 88 yards. He had to be the lead runner. But I think the, the the disappointing thing was their inability offensively to handle the pressure and to have an answer for the pressure. And I think once the pressure came in the first quarter, I think Buffalo got a little nervous. I think Buffalo got a little bit worried. They were pressuring him to not run. They weren't pressuring him to sack him. They were pressuring him to limit him in the pocket and not let him beat him with his feet. And they didn't really have an answer. They ran that one quarterback power that was a, the 12-yard gain. They needed more of that stuff. They needed to run more. They needed to be able to do that. They didn't play a very good game. And I think early in the game when they tried to play man-to-man on the first third down and it didn't work, I think Buffalo got scared. And Buffalo played zone. You can't play zone against this guy. He's just going to – he's too good. He's going to chew you up. They didn't, they didn't do very good in zone. Right. They didn't play very well in zone. And then, you know, and then they had no pressure on the quarterback, which we've known Buffalo's had no pressure on the quarterback all year. So it, it, it was a twofold. I mean, they didn't play their best game on offense. That was the problem. I thought Allen wasn't what he what we thought he was. You know, he didn't play to, to the level he needed to. He throws it 48 times. He had to throw it. He, we knew he was going to throw it a lot in the game. But the reality of it is, is, you know, he's got seven rushes for 88 yards. But the, the biggest issue in this game was is that the fact that, you know, they had a punt three times. We said if they punted more than twice, they lose. They're 5 for 14 on third down, AD. You can't win like that. You know, we didn't even talk about 
you know, we could spend hours on that Packer game. I mean, the whole middle eight of the fucking Packer game is a complete joke. I mean, the Packers have a chance to win the middle eight, and that not only do they lose the middle eight, they give up twenty, they give up fourteen points in the middle eight. They give up the touchdown at the end of the half, which is which is really a fireable offense that call. And they give up, they fumble coming out. Jaron Jones fumbles coming out. They give up fourteen there. I mean, at the end of the day, both these games come down to field position. Bucks start at 37, special teams coverage, red zone, short yardage, and goal line. All those things factor in, third down, just like we talked about, the two teams that did it really well, Kansas City and and Tampa Bay, and that's why they won. As far as Sean McDermott is concerned, the Buffalo Bills coach also facing some criticism. Why he settled for field goals throughout the game, particularly right at the end of the first half. Here's Sean. Yeah, Heather, I did. Uh, I thought about it on, in both occasions, really. And, and um, you know, maybe, you know, if I had to go all over again, I would have went for maybe one of them. But the one before the half, for sure, I wanted to get points. We were having trouble coming up with points, and I wanted to at least, come, you know, have something to show for it coming out of going into half, especially knowing they were getting the ball after half. And, and so, um, you know, I'll look back at that, and then I'll go back and reevaluate that, especially the one after half there. And, and, uh, you know, again, as, a, as an entire team, we'll learn from this experience. What do you make of his reasoning? Well, I mean, I think, look, he had to go into I, he had to go into the game. He had to tell Brian Dayball, look, Brian, on all these third and shorts, we just got to go for it. We can't kick field goals and win this game. They had to know it. You know, I get at the end of the half, he wanted to go in with three points. But I think he just, you know, he was never going to stop them. They never had control of the game with their defense. I mean, look, let's face it, uh, you know, you're, you're in this game. You get the first drive of the game. They go three plays and they punt. After that drive, that was the only drive they had in the first quarter, right? And they had, and Buffalo had a 10-0 lead. They go touchdown, 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 end of half. They come back in the second half, they go field goal, touchdown, touchdown. I mean, like, how are you going to win the game like that? Like, there's no chance, you know? You, you can't win the game like that. Yeah, I think Romo made a great point. Look, if you're going to let fucking Kelsey come off the line and run his route without smacking him in the fucking mouth and beating the shit out of him, you deserve what you get. Like, if you're not going to take the game to them, you got to play physical with them. You got to fucking, you got to put somebody over Tyreek Hill and hit him at the line of scrimmage. You got to hit him. You got to smack him. You got to smack Kelsey at the line of scrimmage. You got to give somebody on help on top. Like, there's nobody going to press Kelsey, press Hill and run with them. But you got to make those other two guys beat you. You, you got to make somebody else other than Kelsey and Hill beat you. You know, you you can't you can't go in the game where Kelsey gets between Kelsey and Hill. They had twenty six targets, right? Mahomes threw the ball thirty eight times. They were they had twenty six of the thirty eight targets, right? You can't do that. Let Pringle beat you. Let fucking Pringle have fucking twenty catches targets. You know they have they have twenty six they have twenty six targets. They end up with twenty two catches. And one guy averages 19.1 yards a catch. The other guy averages nine, but he's converting all these third downs and he scores two touchdowns. I mean, you got to, you, you, look, you got to take away players. It's all players with them. It's not plays with the Chiefs. It's players. If you don't take away Hill and you don't take away Kelsey, they're going to score 40 and you're going to lose. Uh, speaking of players, they all have that great coach in Andy Reid. Big Red, when asked to help process the fact he's going back to the Super Bowl. Well, I, I will when I get about two seconds to sit down. That's what I'm going to sit there and I'm going to go, doggone, how about this one? Vahe, man alive. This is better than, you know, almost beating Miami that year um, uh, when, I was, when we were at Missouri. Um, 
they were number one in the country. I and mean, we, doggone, we had them right there. It took Colorado. I'm just, I'm bringing you back on history here. It took Colorado five downs to beat us. I remind Eric Bannon of that all the time. But I will when I have a chance to sit down and think about it, I'm sure. But uh, we've got we've got some work that we got to get done. And, <clears throat> you know, we we understand that. The guys understand that. Channeling a bit of his inner John Gruden there. Daggone it, I'm just going to have to go out there and get excited again. But listen, for Andy Reid, there's a reason this guy's a great coach, right? He just He's able to get these guys. They play for him. They win with him. And he's smart tactically. As you said, the whole world knows who the Chiefs' biggest weapons are. Yet Andy Reid devises plays in which his playmakers still get that ball. Yeah, I mean, Andy understands plays and players, right? So he Andy, Andy scouts inside out. He knows what he has. He changes. Andy's offense today doesn't look anything like West Coast. I mean, that was Andy's whole thing. You know, Andy's offense today looks nothing like when 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 he had Alex Smith or when he had Donovan McNabb, you know? So he's he's what he does is adapt to his talent. Now, what I think gives Andy a huge advantage over a lot of people in the league is he's a really good evaluator of talent. He really can see it, especially at the quarterback position. So, you know... uh I just think to me they're they're set up perfectly and defensively they have problems but they seem to compensate for it and there's always so much pressure on your offense when you play Kansas City you know you've got to score with them and it's like you're playing a pace that you can't play because they force you to play that place pace you know if I were running a team like if I were talking to Brian Dayball I'd say Brian look we're going to need to get into some two back formations next year. Because to beat Kansas City, we're going to have to steal a little bit of what New England did to them in the championship game. A little bit of two back, power them a little bit, rough them up a little bit, run some stuff, keep them off balance, be able to get to multiple formations or 21 personnel, spread about out of that. you know. But if we allow them to be able to run their blitzes and control things on third down, that plays into what, they're, what, what the little strength they have on defense, it plays into it. After the break, we'll talk with strengths and weaknesses. When it comes to the Super Bowl, a little bit of early betting talk. Plus, as predicted by Mike last week, the Lions are moving away from Matthew Stafford. Weekly awards also coming up. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, well, in case you missed the GM Shuffle on Friday, here's why you shouldn't miss it. Here was Mike speculating the lines were going to move on from Matthew Stafford. Take a listen. I think the interesting factor here of this whole situation is they gave Campbell a six-year contract, right, AD? So why give a young, unproven head coach a six-year contract? Like, you know, give him five, four, or give him three with three years of an option. You know, something like that. You know, that was the Al Davis special. You know, get him some security, but make him earn the security. 
I, I think this six year has got to be, they're going to do something with Stafford this offseason. I think they're going to transform the team. Why else give a six year contract if you're not, if you're, if you have the quarterback of the future, you know, go five years, four years, and then see what he does from there. I think this says, hey, look, we're going to kind of get to the root of the issue. Maybe we use Stafford as an asset, we trade him. And then, you know, this way you have the security to know you can rebuild the team. So by looking at the coach's length of contract, Mike, you were able to decipher that Stafford is going to be on the move. And sure enough, sources telling ESPN on Saturday that an arrangement the two sides have discussed and mutually agreed upon, Stafford is expected not to return to Detroit. So first off, he hasn't had a playoff win in 12 seasons with the Lions, but he turns 33 in March. He's got two years left on a team-friendly deal. $20 million this year, $23 million next year. He's still a talented quarterback. This guy was drafted number one overall in the 09 draft. He completed 62% of his passes, over 45,000 passing yards. He's had 31 fourth-quarter comebacks. He's actually tied for eighth all-time, game-winning drives with 38 and seventh and fourth-quarter comebacks. You had a feeling, though, when you looked at the length of this contract that Stafford was going to be on the move. So what do you think now? Well, I mean, I, th- I think it was pretty clear. When they gave the guy six years, you knew right away that there was something fuzzy going on, that there wasn't a normal rookie head coaching contract, and that Stafford had sold his home in Detroit. He was moving. He was relocating. He'd had enough. And I think that they owed it to him to try to change the fabric of their organization. He's given them a lot. Now, I think he's a really talented player. I think he's taken a rap. I don't think they've ever built a team around him that highlights his skill set or they've never given him an offense that highlights his skill set. He's made a lot of yards. I mean, last year, but last year, his eight games before he got injured were better than Rodgers were last year. There was no denying that. Now, he didn't match Rodgers this year, but there's a lot of things that fall apart. Here's the real thing to understand, is there's going to be very few teams with the cap room to go get them. Okay? Like, Right now, there are probably, let's say, 10 teams that have about $20 million of cap room going in next year. But right now, Jaguars have $73 million of cap room. They're going to draft Trevor Lawrence. The Colts have 64. Count them on Matthew Stafford. The Jets have 63. Don't count them on Matthew Stafford. They're going somewhere else. The Patriots, 57. Count them on Matthew Stafford. Now, the Washington football team has 35. Why would Detroit trade them to him, to, to the NFC team? Okay. The Bengals have 32, don't need a quarterback. The Bucks have 24. They're not trading for Matthew Stafford. The Dolphins, they're not trading for Matthew Stafford at 23. The Chargers, 19, they're not trading. The Browns, 18, they're not trading. The Ravens, 14, they're not trading. The Broncos, maybe. They got 14, but they got to clean up their cap. They got to do some things. I mean, obviously, if there's anyone who knows Matthew Stafford intimately, it's George Payton. He played against him twice. So I think it's a three-team race. I think it's the Colts. I think it's the Patriots. And I think the Broncos will be on the linger. And that's it. I think anybody else is going to have to create the cap room they need. I mean, the Eagles are over the cap by $53 million. The Saints are over by 103. The Falcons are over by $36 million. You know, the Packers are over by $28 million, and that's not counting redoing Rodgers' deal. So if you want to get and, – and they know that's going to cost them money to do it. The Raiders are $23 million over. I could see the Raiders trading Derek Carr, getting an asset, going with Mariota, because I think with Matthew Stafford in the marketplace, Gruden's going to sit there and say, well, I got a really good asset here. I could trade him, improve my team, and I'll go with Mariota, and I'll be the same. That's That, that would be the next thing, I think. So I think there's a lot of dynamics. I think the Matthew Stafford 
in the poker game, him him being moved to the middle of the table opens up the door for a lot of possibilities at quarterback. It'll be the most musical chairs era of quarterbacks of all time. And I think this year will be. So I, I think that. But let's put this in perspective. COVID has forced this cap to come down. COVID is going to force teams to have to get rid of a lot of good players. And the only, only the teams like from the Patriots who have 57 up to the Jaguars who have 73, those are the teams that are going to be able to really get the players that they want because they're the one, they're the teams that have cap room. As you said, those teams, Colts, we know no brainer with Phillip Rivers moving on. Patriots obviously need a quarterback. Cam Newton was only on that one year deal and the Broncos still haven't found their answer at quarterback. And as you said, the cap going down significantly, um, you wonder what the Lions get back. I'm sure they'll get a handsome return. Like I said, Stafford is very affordable, even with the cap going down. The Lions have the number seven pick in the draft. Do you think they take a quarterback or they look at their other needs on this roster? No, I think they take a quarterback. I, I think they probably probably regret more than anything not taking either Tua or Herbert last year. I think they wanted to. I think the reason they I think they they didn't is because Patricia probably didn't want to do it. I'm sure Quinn knew that if he did that, it would be the end. Maybe Quinn thought that could have saved his job. There were conversations. Remember last year, everybody thought Matthew Stafford might get traded. There was talk he was going to get traded to the Patriots. You know, and so look. It always is the case. It's always the case in most businesses, in most sports teams. When you're a year behind, you're you're too late. You know, this was Walsh's brilliance of success. Walsh was always able to do something a year before he had to do it. You know, Walsh would have drafted Herbert if he were in Detroit. You know, I mean, that that's what Andy Reid did. He drafted Mahomes when he had Alex Smith. He was a year ahead. But the teams that are a year behind, Washington's a year behind. Now, what do they do? Now, I know Chase Young's a great player, but you need a quarterback. You need a quarterback, you know? So that's why, once again, Mr. Murphy, you need somebody who has vision that can see the whole game, that can understand the whole game and put all the pieces together and not subcontract the game out. Well, that's the Marines we see when it comes to the lines, what they do. As you said, the subcontracting becomes a different element all in itself. Uh, before we get into the little Super Bowl talk, let's do the weekly awards, Mike. Who's going on the lamb? I think I got a feeling where you're going with this. Well, I think, you know, they can't put LaFuck on the lamb. So <laughs> let's put, let, I know, I know Petten got a con- new contract extension, but to me, seriously, if, if you're, if you're Matt LaFleur, you, you got to walk into Murphy's office and say, look, I need a better defense coordinator than this. I can't compete at the highest level with this kind of, with battleship football, I can't win. I mean, I had conversations all week with people in the league, you know, trying to figure out what the, what the petting effect would be on the game. And everybody was like, he'll panic. You know, he'll, look, I was with Mike a brief time. I don't, you know, we hired him in San Francisco. I mean, excuse me, we hired him in, in Cleveland. I can remember interviewing Kyle Shanahan after we hired Mike Pettin, and I said to Ray Farmer, after we were interviewing Kyle Shanahan, we should have hired him as the head coach. He was by far the best interview. Like Mike had all the sayings, he had all the PowerPoints, but at the end of the day, Mike is truly the diner. He's got a thousand things. He doesn't do any of them good. So if you're if you're the floor, this is a test of your strength as a human being, as a coach. You got to walk down to Mr. Murphy's office and say, Mr. Murphy. <laughs> I need a better defense coordinator. Uh, Fred Palermo Award, best game plan going into the week. Well, I think it's Todd Bowles, right? I think Todd Bowles did a great job of, of you know, even though you know he held him to twenty six points, I think he did a good job of attacking the protections of of the of the game. I think he did a wonderful job of pressuring. He knew where his advantages were, and he took it and he took it to him. So you know, and he adjusted during the game. This is what I think we really miss as fans. I really do. I think we really miss the adjustment factor of the game. 
Like there's things that we're missing that are happening and it doesn't have to be this technical, you know, pad level, Chris Spielman. Oh, you got to, got to get his pads down his eyes. It's all about his eyes. You know, his eyes. I love his eyes. You know, no, it ain't that it's chess. Like tell us why this is happening and tell us what the reaction is. Like, we need, you know, get into a left-handed formation here. We got to move him around. Okay, here's what we have to do. Here's what's going on in this part of the field. Here's what's going on in that part of the field. There's so much on the bone that we don't get because we're not watching the game through the coaching eyes. We're watching the game through the whatever just happened. Let's report on what just happened. Let's report on what's going to happen. Yeah, be reactive to what's happening in the moment. Um, if you don't know, now you know. The main takeaway from this week of football. That Aaron Rodgers is going to cause some problems in Green Bay. Oh, Mr. Murphy, he's coming <laughs> down the hall. You better be ready for him. And, and you don't have an answer for him. You don't have an answer for him. Let's be real honest. You don't have an answer for him because he's, wants, he's deserving of more, of more money. I mean, let's be real clear here, right? You know, like he, he's deserving of more money. I mean, right now he is the right now he is the fourth highest paid, fifth highest paid quarterback. He averages thirty three point five a year. You got Mahomes at forty five. You got Watson at thir- at thirty nine. Now, do I think he should be with Mahomes? I think he's close. I think he's close. Forty four. You got to add some money to the guy's count because basically he just carried you for basically two years, right? I mean, I mean he's won twenty six games. For the Green Bay Packers in the last two years, twenty six games. I mean, Lafleur's coaching record is is remarkable, but we all know it's 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 this guy. Like this guy is the guy, and and I don't want to hear this shit. Well, you know, no great players can only take you so far. The coach has to give you some other things. You know, at the Bruce Arians. Well, I let Tom Brady coach. No, no, stop. 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 I mean, that, that's a that's an indictment on you. That's not a slap at Belichick. That's an indictment on you. Like, well, Brady understands what it takes to win the game. He's helping you along. Yeah, and that's where you got to have those guys like Brady who can actually help you and carry you at the right moments. Um, before we close up shop here, we want to do a little bit of Super Bowl conversation. And honestly, DraftKings is the place to go. It is not only for when it comes to just gambling on the game itself, but also prop bets, which I'm sure will come out uh, in the weeks ahead. But... Early line, Mike, minus three and a half. The Chiefs are the favorite, the over-under at 56 and a half. We're not going to give our predictions just yet, but just from a gambling perspective, what are you looking at right now? Because you know people are going to start putting their bets immediately either on Kansas City or on braiding the Bucks to pull off another upset. As of this morning at 9.30 Monday, East Coast time in little Ocean City, New Jersey, there already has been, and this isn't all the books, but just in, this, in, the, in the books that I track, there already have been 4,500 bets made. And the 88% of that of those bets, the money that have come in on that have come in on Kansas City. And the line opened at three and a half, and the line has stayed at three. DraftKings, they have it at three, two right now. So all the money is coming in on Kansas City right now. So that means that, you know, the Bucs are the contrarian play. The Bucs are the team that, you know, because Kansas City dominated them, that, that score wasn't as close as you might have thought the last time they played. So I think Kansas City will still will, will get, they've gotten a lot of the early money because I think that they just watch Kansas, people have watched Kansas City play and see that they punted once and, you know, they dismantled a team that was playing really well. And Kansas City can play, Right-handed, left-handed, anywhere. Like, there's no way they can't win a game. 
They've proven that. They've won a 17-14 game, and they've won a high-scoring game. I mean, look, the Raiders have played them as well as anybody two games. And if somebody doesn't copy the Raider game plan, they're going to make a mistake. It's just definitely going to be interesting. And like I said, all these bets are going to start coming out. So make sure you check out the DraftKings app because they're going to have, like I said, not only the actual bets with regards to who wins the game, but also prop bets, lots of fun stuff. Download the DraftKings app now. Use promo code GMSHUFFLE to enter the free $55 million big game prediction challenge. Everyone gets an instant prize up to $25,000 just for playing. So use promo code GMSHUFFLE now and enter the free $55 million big game challenge only at DraftKings. Terms and conditions and eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. As we stick the landing, Mike, the thing that everyone was talking about this week, the Bernie Sanders meme. I loved your idea. You said they've got to put a collection of these, get the top five, top 10 best, and then auction it off for charity. It was amazing. I mean, make a calendar out of it, right? I mean, they're so good. I mean, like, it's incredible. I've seen them everywhere now. I mean, I've seen them sitting next to uh, uh, Jewel at a concert. I've seen them. I mean, I've seen them everywhere. I've seen them on stage with Springsteen. I've seen them playing sax. I've seen them. It's been great. I I mean, I love when he's sitting out there with Paulie at Satriel's. You know, I mean, like, there's got to be, like, Make 24 of them and just donate. The, I mean, I'd put a, I'd hang a calendar in my room with him, just looking at him. Why not? I mean, it's, it makes me like, it's a little bit. The other thing I tweeted out yesterday, and, and I, I think I'm, I'm in the majority here. The other thing I tweeted out yesterday was, and this was part of our, our, our text chain, and this is between Bur- Bill Berman, my neighbor, uh, and Mick, my son, everybody, Matthew, where, you know, like we need way more Dr. Rick and less Baker Mayfield. Like I need less Baker Mayfield. I want more Dr. Rick. I want to I want to stop I want to stop being coached like my parents. I mean, do you know how many times I've sat down where I went like that? Like like now every time I sit down I think of Dr. Rick. Like he's helping me. He's helping me. I'm sure he's helping you too. Like I don't want to be like my parents. I don't want to have pillows on the couch, you know. What Mick my son Mick texted me this morning and he has the plumber over so he sends me a text and said, "Remember, I hired him." You know, like that that commercial. I love how Jim Nance intertwined it in there last night in the in the broadcast. It was so good. We need more Dr. Rick. We need Dr. Rick. We need less Baker. We need less of that other guy, Jamie, whatever the hell that guy. I mean, get him the hell out of there. You know, flow. I'll take a little flow. No, I don't really want flow, but we need more Dr. Rick. What do you think? Yeah, Dr. Rick, I'm definitely a fan of. I mean, Listen, I, I spent a lot of the week people were talking about Joe Exotic was waiting to get pardoned by Trump. Like, okay, thank God that didn't happen. Uh, Dr. Rick, I'm definitely a fan of. Like you said, the Sanders meme, who cares about your politics? It's just funny. I mean, I saw a story, I think it was in the Today Show yesterday, about the woman who actually made those mittens. And she's getting bombarded with orders for those mittens. And it's like, listen, anybody can make those mittens. But when something just, you know, hits the cultural zeitgeist, it just kind of creates a life of its own. Forget your politics. And, and look, I, I mean, I don't judge anybody how they feel. Feel, whatever they believe, okay, that you're in, this is what made this country so great. You have the right to have an opinion. But what I admire the most about Bernie Sanders is he's authentic. Yeah. He doesn't give a fuck. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know that jacket's from Land's End or somewhere, right? You know, he doesn't get, this is who the fuck I am. I got mittens. I'm I'm more worried about the cold than I'm worried about how I look. I don't give a fuck what anybody thinks. This is who I am. 
And let's make some money off of it. Like, seriously, let's make some money off of it. You're absolutely right about that guy being authentic, right? I don't care if my hair's sticking up. I don't care what shirt I'm wearing. No, no. I'm here about my policies. I'm trying to get shit done. You want to make fun of me? I don't give it a crap. Larry David's making fun of me on SNL. I don't care. I'm cold. These are my mittens. Our final thought is you close the shop on the gym shuffle. We're going to be back, by the way, next week on Tuesday. And then Super Bowl week preceding it, we're going to have a few episodes leading up to the big game. But Larry King passes away at the age of 87. I mean, absolutely iconic talk show host. I was going back and watching some of those interviews, Mike. You know, I adore Pacino. One of the great interviews Pacino ever did. And Al never did The Tonight Show. He never did, you know, Late Show Letterman. But he did a great interview with Larry King, which I still have the VHS tape of. It just says Pacino. And him and Larry King for an hour was amazing. And I just was thinking about that and watching some clips of it. When you think of Larry King interviews, I mean, he interviewed everybody. And he said one time, the best interviews, he goes, when you're watching me, 90% should be the interview guest talking. It should be the interviewee, not the interviewer. And he goes, a lot of mistakes people make is they keep going long-winded with their questions. It should be the other guy talking. He tried to have a disarming style. When you look at all the people he spoke to, presidents, politics, entertainment, sports, remarkable career. Really remarkable. And you know, when I was in LA, we would go, Millie and I go over to Nate Nows, which was a deli on uh, over in on uh, in, L, in LA in Beverly Hills and he would be in there with all his boys having breakfast his cornflakes and they would be in there you know doing their shtick and look I agree with him I think every, every guy that's a great interviewer like I think Howard Stern's by far the greatest interviewer of all time I mean he is he asks great questions he he's probing and yet he gets out of the way and I think that's what Larry King did I mean you know I mean as a nine o'clock on uh, CNN was much watched TV. Who who was Larry going to talk to? You know, and so uh, you know, I always felt like that was uh, that was much watched television. And you know, it's a shame he passed away. I'll tell you a funny story though. His his last wife was uh, Sean King. Her name was. She had a brother, Brett Engeman, who played quarterback at BYU, but he really never played, right? But the power of Larry to Al. The, both Erasmus High School graduates, they were friends. You know, Larry would call Al up and say, can you put Brett Engelman on, on the practice squad? You know, and and we did. And we did. And we put him on the practice squad. He was on our practice squad for a lot of years. And you couldn't get him off. Like, you couldn't get, like, I would go in and say, like, what are we doing? Like, this guy's never going to play in the National Football League. And I would say, Mr. Davis, can we, oh, fuck, we're not changing him. He's going to be good. And I'm like, no, you know. And then finally, it dawned on me that Larry was behind it. Like, I never put two and two together. Like, I never put two and two together. And he was on our practice squad for a long time. I think now he's an actor. I mean, handsome guy, you know, but no chance to play. But, you know, the power of the power of Larry to Al. So when I think of Larry now, all I think about is Brett Engelman. <laughs> it's funny. Sometimes in life. And my frustration. Right, right. You just think about that connection and how much uh, a thorn it was in your side. Rest in peace to Larry King, 87, a heck of a run. We are back next week on the GM Shuffle. And like I said, and then the week preceding, Super Bowl takes place February 7th. The week leading up to that, we'll have three episodes detailing all that you need to know. As always, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter, M Lombardi NFL, Adnan S. Furkin, at the GM Shuffle. You can also email us your questions. Thanks for watching, and good luck, Packers fans. This was a rough one. <laughs>